write the seven churches. We're looking at the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation begins with letters. The whole book is actually to these seven churches that we're going to go through. We're going to take one week at a time. We're going to look at one church each week. And I want to kind of set that up as we dive into it. So that's kind of Revelation 2 and 3, all these individual letters. But Revelation 1 opens up with John on the island of Patmos. So this is John, the beloved disciple. So connect those dots. This is Jesus' BFF. And if you're not hip and trendy like me, that's best friends forever, okay? You know, shaking my head, LOL. I know what all those mean. Right? So this is Jesus, his best friend, exiled on the island of Patmos. See, at this point, most of the apostles have been killed. I mean, heads chopped off, you know, crucified upside down. They can't kill John. So they exile him to this island. It's like this island prison. It's kind of like Alcatraz minus Nick Cage and Sean Connery, right? It's like this own island jail that he goes to, but he's kind of free to walk around. And that's kind of where Revelation 1 picks up. It says it's a Sunday, and John is in the Spirit. So here's John. Now, he's you know can't be around other churches, so he's just having church on his own. So here's John, after all his friends have been killed, still worshiping on the island alone, right? So just picture that John just walking, right? And here he is just praising, just even when I can see at your work again. And so here he's praising. That's the setup. And it says behind him, he hears a massive sound of a trumpet, right? So he's just praising, you never stop, you never. And he pops his AirPods out like, what is going on? It was a long time ago, they didn't have AirPods. It was so long ago, it was like an iPod shuffle or something. I don't know what he was using, right? But so he turns around in the midst of worshiping. And sees this unbelievable vision of Christ. This is you know, Jesus' best friend, but he sees kind of the glorified Christ, hair white. It says, eyes were like fire, bronze shoes. He's got a sword coming out of his mouth. Imagine that. You know, you ever just, you know, your prayer walk and you're jogging, you turn around and see that. It says, John fell flat like dead. Much like in every one of those situations, the next word, whether it be an angel or this picture of Jesus, they say, do not fear. Right? Because that would have been wild. He falls down. I think they always leave out a line, like, don't be afraid and go change your pants. I think you peed a little bit, right? Like, what the? Imagine seeing that and you fall down and he sees this vision of Christ. And he's told all that you see and hear, I want you to communicate that to these seven churches. So that's who the book of Revelation is written to. And it's interesting. I never put this together. Each church gets reminded of a particular part of that. So that total vision he sees, each church is reminded of an aspect of Christ, right? Because not every church is in the same place. Not every Christian is in the same place, right? And sometimes you need reminded of different truths. Sometimes you need to read the book of James. Sometimes you need to read Galatians. And so... He gives them all this picture of Christ. So he tries to jot down this wild thing that he sees, and then he sends it to these seven churches and kind of 
reddish or whatever that color may be, right? You, you see all those churches, Ephesus, and we're going to walk through all seven of those. And part of it, I want you to wrap your head. These are real historical places. So this is modern-day Turkey. You see Patmos off to the west of all these churches, the Aegean Sea. So just west of that, you have Greece and then on to Europe, right? So this is modern-day Turkey. These are real churches. In some ways, that's good Bible study, right? Because you've got to understand the book of Revelation was written to them, but it's for us. It's for all of us. It wasn't just the letter to Ephesus goes to Ephesus. He wanted them to read it in all the churches. So that's the context. Understand, okay, what was he communicating to them? And then what could we learn? We want to think about particularly Revelation is there's a lot of symbolism, right, and imagery. And numbers can be very symbolic as well. So make no mistake, seven real historical churches that were planted. But when you see that number seven biblically, that should trigger. That is the number of completion of perfection. So there's a reason it wasn't nine churches. There's a reason it wasn't five. Now, there were more than that. But what we have, Jesus kind of laying out the spectrum of churches. And some people can get into each church. It's this era and genre and dispensation. I don't know about all that. What I do know here we have Jesus laying out to these seven churches what he wants a church to be. We see him laying out, here is a church, here are the marks of a church, and here are the pitfalls of a church. Basically, we have from Jesus himself laying out the picture of what he wants church to be. And we were thinkers. We said, whoa, 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 time out. We're a church. I wonder... If looking at Christ's perfect picture of a church, we can learn something. Nod your head, okay, right? I wonder, right? So that's what we're going to do. We're going to take a journey of looking at all the trials, temptations, and the marks of what a church should be. So that's the journey ahead as we're going to walk through these. And it begins with, you can see, even the order, you can read a lot into it. I think it's even just geographical, right? So as that letter's going to get delivered, if you were to follow the Roman roads, that's the order in which you would hit all those cities. So first up, you're going to see Ephesus, and that's where we're going to dive in. We're going to be in Revelation 2, picking it up in verse 1, is the letter to the Ephesians. So follow along as I read. Did the angel of the church in Ephesus write... The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So here is the letter to the Ephesians. I mean, one of the nice things is you look at these seven churches, they all follow the exact same flow. It breaks off into kind of five parts, and if you're wondering if they're all going to begin with the same letter, they are. All right, so first he acknowledges the church that he talks to. Then he looks at a picture of Christ and reminds them of Christ. And then he commends them and criticizes them. And now, not all churches get commended, not all get criticized. That's the only difference. But he looks at the church, Christ. He commends them, criticizes them, and then gives them a charge. And that's the flow. You'll see it's earmarked. Even the same phrases he repeats, I know your works. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. So we're just going to walk through those sections together, looking at the church in Ephesus. So that's how it starts. He kicks off with the church, the angel of the church in Ephesus. In some ways, I want you to get too hung up on the angel. That's a part of Revelation, right, to dive in. What is this figure? Is it a man? Is it actually an angel? I'm not going to even tell you what my best guess is, because I think for our time, it serves to say this angel, all of the messages to the church are addressed to the angel of that church. And what we know pretty clearly is that's a representative of that church. So he gives the message to the church via this figure, this representative. So some, I want to just dive into a little bit of the background of Ephesus to understand the city, but also to understand the church. This was fun. I mean, I don't know if you realize, I didn't put this together. We know more about the church in Ephesus than any other church in the New Testament. Some of that was good for me to start to kind of connect those dots, right? We have Revelation. This is happening, you know, kind of later than Paul's missionary journeys. But near Ephesus, think the Ephesian church. So this is the church, you know, in Paul's missionary journeys when he went around. Paul was in Ephesus for years, more than any other church. He spends a significant amount of time there in this city. So we know how it began. We see the letter to the Ephesians. We know what they wrestled with. And we see what is possibly the end of the life cycle of the Ephesian church and located in Ephesus. So this is kind of the Roman world. One of the significant things about Ephesus is it was such a big city. Under Roman rule, they were allowed to self-govern. This is one of the biggest cities in the Roman Empire. Obviously, Roman Empire, Rome's the biggest. So in our terms, like, don't think New York, but think like Chicago, L.A. Like, that's what we're looking at in the city of Ephesus. It's one of the largest cities in the Roman Empire, economically very strong. You can still go to this day, and that is still there. I mean, they had stadiums of 25,000 people. I mean, you think of how long ago it was to have structures like this. It was a wide open space. I mean, how did they know social distancing was going to be a thing? That was, that was the Lord's blessing, right? Right, so, I mean, they had amazing structures. This was an important city. Nothing more important in the culture of Ephesus is the temple of Artemis, the goddess of Artemis. You know, for those kind of history buffs, this is, in Ephesus, one of the great, seven great ancient wonders of the world. I mean, this temple to Artemis, I heard one pastor say it was like the size of a soccer field. 
You know, that's a big structure, but imagine a temple that big. I mean, it was a big deal. So Artemis, kind of the equivalent in Latin Greek culture is the goddess of Diana is the goddess of the hunt and the goddess of fertility. Start to get a sniff of some of the morality of this pagan culture. I mean, prostitution was rampant at this temple. So that's the city in the midst of which this church of, in Ephesus is located. So wrap your head a little bit around that. And here's what this church, he wants to remind them about Christ. To you, church in Ephesus. The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. So those stars and lampstands, we know, are symbols of the church the representative of the church in the church itself. That's what, when you see stars and lampstands, he's saying. Now I want to come back to this. I'm not going to spend a ton of time now. But what does he want this church to know? And what I want to point out from the text is, where is Jesus located in the midst of this church? Like spatially, picture that in your mind. So where's the church? He holds them in his hand. Where is Jesus in the midst of all these churches? He's the one who walks, you can say it, it's okay, among the seven golden lampstands. Like, he is in their midst. So in the midst of all that we're going to go through, Jesus says, I'm right there with you. So that's kind of the introduction, the church. This is the picture of Christ that he wants to remind them of himself. And then we kind of get into the body of the letter. He commends them for what they do right. Here are the compliments Jesus gives the Ephesian church. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Look at that list. Like, that's an impressive list. I mean, that's a lot of things. And if you add that up, this is looking like a really good church. I know your toil and your patient endurance. This word is toil, is I know you guys work and serve to the point of exhaustion. See, Kids Zone in Ephesus, they didn't have to beg for volunteers. Like, this church served, right? Everybody was cutting donuts at this church. They labored. They toiled. They worked hard for the sake of the church. Your toil. It's a stronger word than we get. They worked to it, the point of exhaustion. Your patient endurance. Again, you've got to remember the context from which this comes. I mean, the Roman emperors. Now, we think we had a hard year, and we think about, oh, we, this is persecution for us. They were being slaughtered. They were literally, I mean, watch the movie Gladiator. They're literally being fed to lions. So in some ways, we want to ease up on, oh, we're persecuted. Okay, it, there's some things we got to work through. But these guys, in the midst of crazy persecution, patiently endured it all, never buckled from the truth. In the midst of great temptation, possibly loss of life, they never backed down. That is commendable. 
They stood for truth in the midst of all kind of reasons not to. Man, that's a big deal. They would not bear with those that are evil. This is a church that stood for truth in the midst of wild persecution, like Nero kind of persecution, and they were serious about holiness. They lived it out. This wasn't just a nonchalant, kind of nominal church. They taught the truth. They never buckled under the truth. They served, they served him, and they were serious about holiness. And this is a huge mark, right? What did it say? They spotted the false apostles and wouldn't stand for it. This is a big deal. They had great doctrine at this church. They had great teaching. There was great preaching at this church. To be able to start spot a false apostle, what do you got to know? The real thing. They knew the real deal. They knew truth, and they stood up for it. Enduring patiently, went through persecution for the name of Christ. That's looking like a good church. It checks a lot of the boxes, right? I'm in the midst of going through membership class right now, and we walk through all these things. These are necessary, important boxes to check of every single church. Every single church needs this, right? And I know some people, you know, maybe you bounce around church or you moved and you're looking for a church. I always get a little uneasy about the term, but we've all been there, right? Oh, we're church shopping. And you're shopping for a church and you're looking, does it check all the right boxes? As you look at this church, that's a church I want my kids going to, it seems like, right? It checks all the boxes. It's got a great history. Oh, oh, you know the church planted by the Apostle Paul who wrote the Bible, right? Man, that's got a great legacy. It's got great preaching. Man, they teach truth there. The doctrine is spot on. I mean, this is a wealthy church with a lot of resources. They have all kind of programs. They got great programs there. They're serious about holiness. Man, how many people, when you're looking for a church, that's what you go through. You check the website. Oh, does it have this? Does it have all the right programs that I want? You know, is it serious about that? And you think, okay, we're good. Why do you get the sense that there's a little more to it? Right? You know, like, you get the sense that, you know, a nice compliment sandwich is coming, right? You ever serve somebody a compliment sandwich? It's biblical. You know, the apostle invented it, right? He starts with these great compliments, and he ends with compliments, but then you get into the meat of the criticism, and it is a dagger. It is dangerous and deadly. So here's the deal. In the midst of all this, you get the sense that a butt's coming, right? Man, you got great teaching great preaching, got great programs. But something is missing. If you've gone church shopping and these are all your boxes, you're not done yet. Because according to Jesus, there are necessary things beyond this. And that's where we get into his criticism of the Ephesian church. But I have this against you. that You have abandoned the love you had at first. Great doctrine, great teaching, but they missed a massive thing. 
It is devoid of love. This is a necessary box that you must check as a church and as a Christian. If you don't get to this point, you are missing out because in Jesus' economy of church, all those things, and don't miss it. I'm not saying those are bad things. You must have good doctrine. But if you never check this box, you are missing something of greatest importance. If you don't have a love for Christ and a love for others, let me say it strongly, you are not a church. A church with great doctrine, devoid of love, is not a church. Did you catch that? This is a necessary box. And how many times we're looking for a good church, we never get there. What if when you were looking for a good church, it wasn't just, okay, they believe the Bible, they believe in the Trinity, they believe in the ontological status of the Holy Spirit, they believe in this, they believe in their tulip and their five point. Do you ever ask the question, do they love Jesus there? Like, are they known for love? Does love pour out of them? And here's what I say why it's so serious. He says, look, if you don't change, I'm removing your lampstand. I mean, they are on life support amidst all those great things. They're on life support, and Jesus says, look, you change, or I'm pulling the plug. This is a necessary thing. You know, a light goes out in your house. What do you do with that light bulb that doesn't shine? You throw it away. You don't say, well, that light bulb has good doctrine, so let's keep it around. The point of a light bulb is to shine. A light bulb that doesn't shine, you throw it away. It's useless. A church that doesn't shine the light of Christ serves no purpose. The purpose of a church is so people experience God's love. You need to have good doctrine to do that. Or else what are you teaching them about if you're not teaching them about Christ? A loveless church is no church at all. This is a necessary ingredient of being a church. All those other boxes are necessary, but they're not enough. Do you need to have good doctrine and truth? Yes or no, church? Yeah. But it's not enough. Good doctrine is necessary. Good doctrine is good. I want you to listen to this. Good doctrine is good. Good doctrine divorced from love is dangerous. It's dangerous. You can take that to a church. You can take that in your own life. You can have great doctrine. You can have the Bible memorized. But if you have great doctrine, divorced from a love of God and a love of others, you are in an extremely dangerous situation. And that was the Ephesian church. Great teaching. But they didn't love God anymore. And they weren't loving others. They knew a lot about him. They didn't know him anymore. Listen to what one commentator said about the church. 
They were a hard, critical, fault-finding, stern, self-righteous church that had banished the spirit of love. And how many of us were raised in, in a church like this? They taught truth. They taught about heaven. They taught about hell. And they would yell about hell a lot. That's how you knew they believed in hell. You can call the church whatever you want, but it was an Ephesian church. It was nothing more than a holy huddle. And they were nothing more, one commentator said, they were heresy hunters. Yes, they had good truth, and their job was to just point out people that were wrong and didn't have good doctrine. Good doctrine is necessary, but it's not enough, especially if it's divorced from love. So what do we do in that state when we just turn inward and our relation with God is just intellectual and we know facts about him, but we don't know him anymore. Faith for John isn't something that happened in the past. It is dynamic. It is ongoing. It is based off of a love relationship with God. So what do we do as a church or as a Christian? And yeah, you're still involved. You're doing a lot of things, but love is not the name of the game. And he gives them this charge. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. This is where studying this blew my mind. You may come from a great home. You may went on mission trips. You may have the greatest legacy of faith. But if all your hope is in that and divorced from hoping in Christ and loving him, you have nothing. If this can happen to the Ephesian church, it can happen to anyone. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Remember the church we're talking about. This is the Ephesian church. Maybe you have confidence in our church. That would never happen here. We have good pastors, and yeah, we try to be faithful. Yeah, we try to have good pastors here. Do you know the pastors that they had? Ephesians was pastored, some of this we know by church, from church history, by Paul, Timothy, Aquila and Priscilla ministered there. The great, the great preacher of the New Testament, Apollos. John himself was the pastor there. Do you know who ran women's ministry? Mary, the mother of our Lord. They had a lot of good things going. Can you imagine being under her discipleship? Like, yeah, it was hard. You know, rumors went around because I was pregnant, but I didn't really, you know, sleep around. And so it was hard, but, you know, God did miracles in my life. Like, okay, let's do that. I mean, think of where they came from. This is not that far. This is where this is crazy. This is not that far. This is one generation from when Paul's doing miracles. They flipped the city on its head. That, that cathedral I showed you, there were riots there. Do you remember why when we went through Acts? It was the union of metal workers that caused a riot because so many people in the city were coming to Jesus, they weren't buying their little deities anymore. They were burning all of their old pagan books. They flipped the city on its head. Everybody in that city was hearing about Jesus, so now the, the business of religion was suffering. That's the Ephesian church. Fast forward a couple years. They're almost a dead church. They're on life support. He says, how could you have gone so far? 
Remember when you turned the city upside down, you lit the city on fire by your passion for Christ and your love for people. Repent. Church isn't a business. It's not an intellectual thing. Jesus isn't something that you study to learn about. He's your savior that you are in relationship with. He says, go back to those days when you just loved me and it was just me and you. Those around, even our church, every church is in danger of this. If it could happen to Paul's church, it surely could happen to ours. You remember the days of you around at the block when you would, you would get here early to set up and that was a whole the facility didn't work, but you did anything you can so that people could hear about Jesus. And now we're big and we have resources. And we can turn and get selfish and inward. Repent and return. That was the charge to this great, one time just magnificent church. So we got to understand what happened in Ephesus. But what I want to close with is understanding how we can be tempted to be an Ephesian. I want to give the same charge to them that they received to us. So what is our charge? He tells them, remember, repent, and respond. That's a bonus alliteration at the end of a sermon. Like, what else can I do for you people, right? All right, so you look at what is the charge to them and what is our charge. He says, remember. So I want you to remember when you first loved Christ. Repent of what your relationship has become and then respond. Do the things you did at first. So I want to spend some time literally doing that. I want you to remember when you first came to Christ. Some of you that may have been a long time ago. Can you remember that? Like the first time when like God moved in your life. That first time, and maybe it wasn't a trumpet blasting behind you, but that first time you were keenly aware that the God of the universe is speaking to me. That God is moving in my life. Do you remember that time? When that was like the most important thing to you, all the things you worry about now, you didn't care about because you only cared about him. He was your first love. Do you remember that? Can you remember that season where you couldn't come to church without weeping because you were blown away that God loved you? And that was the only thing that mattered. Every day you woke up, it was you and God. God, just use me. God, wherever you want me to go, I'll go anywhere because what you've done in my life, let's go. Right now, let's go. I've been to those seasons everywhere I went. I just wanted to share his love. Every plane ride, like, God, is, you, want me to share Jesus? you want me to share about you? I'm like opening my Bible to see if he's going to ask a question or something. Like, everywhere, that was the only thing I cared about. And then I got old, and I got wise, and I got busy, and I had kids. And that Jesus' checkbox became a little lower Again, still involved. This is a message to church people. This is a message to table leaders, to community group leaders. This is a message to good church folk that have good doctrine, that serve in the church, and you don't love them anymore. Like it's all duty and no delight. You're just working for him. I want you to remember 
what it was like. I remember I used to call it, I used to journal in tongues. Like, he speaks in tongues. I don't speak in tongues. I used to journal as a new believer, and I remember I would just write out my prayers. And if you were to look at my old journals, there would be like crazy like scribble lines all throughout. You're like, did he have an episode? You know, just like, like I would just like scribble in my journal. And what would happen, I just remember that as a young believer, just like, I'd be praying, and I'd get so overwhelmed by God's love for me, like my pen couldn't keep up with my praise, and I would just like, God, thank you. Yeah! Like, I just, God, you're so amazing, like I can't believe, and I would just stop after I would scribble all over my journal and just praise him. I remember at the block, whenever I had an extra moment, I would just circle the building just praying. God, move in this place. Speak in this place. God, don't let the enemy move. I don't do that anymore here. Like, I think I want to, though. Like, I want to be in that place where it's like God can really speak and move and move through people like us. And we've made it just a nice contract you know, this nice agreement that I work hard at church and he doesn't let bad stuff happen. It's like the honeymoon phase, right? It's like, I want you to remember that honeymoon phase. You know that honeymoon phase? You're like borderline psychotic, right? You do any number of stupid things just to please them. Do you remember when you and God were in that honeymoon phase? And it didn't matter. You didn't care what other people said because you only cared about him. But then what happens in marriage, right? You kind of grow, and now it's just kind of a nice contractual agreement. It's not a marriage sermon, but if you want to elbow your spouse, now's the time. Like, mm. Wasn't that like that with you and God, right? You were just blown away that he loved you. And that was the only fact in this universe that mattered, and it, and it just spilled out of you. He says, I want you to repent how you've moved from that place. I want you to do that again. I want to be like that when it was just me and you again, and you'd go anywhere, and everything you did was a, I mean, you just saw God moving everywhere. Every sunrise, you saw his smile. Every song, it was like, God's your DJ. Like, he's just speaking to you. It's like, let's do that again. And it's very practical. Do the works you did at first. You know those things you did as a new believer? Do those again. Like, wake up every day and just say, God, man, I just want to see you move. I remember I would just, we used to call them date nights with Jesus. I'd spend whole evenings just with him because I wanted to be with him. Do that again. I don't know how your relationship with God has gone cold, but I know you shouldn't stay there. And here's the reminder that he gives the church. Look, what did he tell them about himself? You've gone far away from God, but look, the words of him who holds seven stars in his hand. Maybe you feel like you've gotten far from God, that you've been kind of walking away from him. Do you know how far away you ran? No further than the palm of his hand. You think he seems so far. Jesus is saying, I'm right here. 
Like, I'm still in your midst. I'm still here loving you. And this idea that, man, somebody says, pull the plug. That's a dead Christian. That's a dead church. What does he say? I'm holding on for dear life. We had that before. And I bring dead things back to life. That's what I do. He's still holding on to you. Would you just repent of wherever you've gone? Go back to your first love. Go back to when you first loved him and he was your first love. Will you pray with me? Father, I think this is a temptation for every church and every Christian. God, to make you just an intellectual exercise, to make it just about knowing things about you. God, I want to be so much more. I want to know you. God, I don't want to be a church that can explain grace. I want to exude grace. I don't want to be Christians where we can explain Jesus. I want us to exude Jesus. And I know so many of us have drifted. God, would we repent and return to that place when we first loved you and you were our first love. In Jesus' name, amen.